The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I've been listening to biblical teaching all of my life. I was born in it. The first weekend of my life, I was in church in a basset. I've been there ever since. But I want to say to you, please, I don't mean to be offensive. All of that teaching has not uncovered for me the reality of living with Jesus Christ. And my heart has been searching after Jesus my whole life. Now, I've found answers not given by modern-day teachers, among some of the some of the real old-timers, like Frank Bartleman, or Charles Finney, or John Wesley. They've given me some of the answers. But I'm coming now into a new understanding about what it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, come on, let's be very, very frank and honest one with another. The modern church does not know Jesus. The modern church 
has their wonderful teachings and good teachers at that. I don't agree with everything that John MacArthur says by a long shot, but he is a wonderful, wonderful biblical teacher. But he's missed the very heart of it. I want to share that with you. We're going to begin in Romans, the sixth chapter, but I want to show you something deeper, probably, than you've ever heard before. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And in the Greek, it is the strongest possible no. No, absolutely no. We died to sin. How shall we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Well, I've read that hundreds of times, literally. And it's finally beginning to unveil itself. It's not easy to grasp in our modern culture the real truth of who Jesus was and is and will be. Let's walk in this, and let me try to unpack some of it for us. Paul writes, We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Oh, okay, now we've got a a real clue. Many teach that you can't stop sinning. We call them the sinning Christians. But the problem is, you have to die to sin. And it's not easy to die to sin. Sin has a way of clinging to us and clinging to our hearts. It says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? But what's he mean? When we come to Jesus and we surrender our lives, we have to die. There's death involved. There is crucifixion involved. And it's not an intellectual concept. It's it's very real. It says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, we're baptized into new life in Jesus Christ. But in that baptism into Jesus Christ, where we live a new life, we are first baptized into his death. We die. This is not a quick process. This will take some time. In other words, the only way sin dies is by being put in the grave. We're sin. We're we're filled with it, like ticks, like fleas. It's a part of us. The only way that sin is ever going to die out is by our going into the grave with Jesus. Where we recognize that we are now in a tomb. Everything in our life basically stops. And we're now 
in the tomb with Jesus. We've died with him. We're not resurrected yet. Some have misunderstood. I did. I thought that I I died with Christ when I said, I surrender everything to you, Jesus. I give you every part of my heart and every part of my life. I choose you, Jesus. I choose to be filled by your Spirit. I thought with such words as these, I died. The problem is, I didn't die, and neither did you. And then we have spent years struggling with the sin of our hearts. I thought I was supposed to be free of sin. I was supposed to walk in victory. But I haven't walked in victory. I've continued to walk. Yes, much better than I was before. But still caught. Still caught in the old man. The carnal man. The worldly man. And I find that I could live very comfortably with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I said, but wait a minute. I thought I died with Christ. Yes. But then immediately I was resurrected, but I wasn't resurrected with Jesus. I was resurrected with sin still attached, with struggle against the powers of darkness. I recognize, and I'm going to share this with you, King David, after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet regarding his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. He wrote Psalm 51. Now, I've gone through this a number of times through the years, even here on the broadcast, but I didn't get the same connection. I want you to get the connection today. You remember the first beatitude that Jesus gave us? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. That poor in spirit means literally that you that you have no ability to help yourself that you finally have come to a point in your life where you recognize you can't live a righteous life in your power, in your strength. And there has to be a total conversion, a change. Well, David, King David knew that in the Old Testament. Listen to this. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love. Well, literally in the Hebrew, he said, God, would you come and moan over me with pity, with compassion? I'm a dad, two daughters. On more than one occasion, I stood over their beds as they were sick as children, and there was a moan in my heart for them. I would have quickly and easily taken their place if I could have. I was so concerned about them. I was afraid they would die, that I would lose them. 
Have mercy on me, O God. Look upon my life, Lord, and and groan over me. Well, this is the condition of a man or a woman who is poor in spirit. They basically have have given up any hope of life. They have basically recognized the utter wickedness of their own hearts. We were born that way. In the early morning hours, as I came before the Lord, I began to go through all of the very wicked things that I'd thought and done in my life. And all I could say is, Lord, please come and moan over me. I don't know how I could have acted that way or thought that way or or said those things. I know you have unfailing love for me, not unconditional, unfailing love. So please, according to your great compassion, your tender pity, please blot out my transgressions. That is, take an eraser. Erase my transgressions, that they would no longer stand against me. You see, there is a process that's necessary for us to go through. And the process is that first we are baptized into the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus. This is what David is talking about in Psalm 51. A place where we know that all we can ask is that God come and moan over us in love and compassion in tenderness, and that he would take the big eraser and erase all of these charges that are against us because of our iniquity, because of our sin. Now, to begin to understand this, you've got to take some time. What I'm describing today is not something that happens quickly or overnight. It takes time for us to begin to allow our mind to open to the wickedness of our hearts, to the lostness of our condition. And we come weeping before God. We become poor in spirit. That is, we recognize that we cannot. We cannot help ourselves. That this is something Jesus must do in us. I've been saying for the last couple weeks, and I need to keep saying it, all of salvation flows from the heart of Jesus. Salvation does not come to us through our hard work. Salvation is a gift of God. And that gift calls for us to be crucified with Christ. It's very painful to go into the grave with Jesus, to recognize our transgressions, our wickedness, our iniquity. And he says, wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Literally put me in a tub of water and get your feet in there and just stomp on me until I come out white. 
Now, you may have never heard this before, but I'm going to say it. Our call is to be crucified with Jesus Christ. That's Romans, the sixth chapter. To be crucified with Christ and then to be placed in the tomb with Jesus. He was in that tomb for three and a half days, or three days, three nights. We go into that tomb by acknowledging our inability to save ourselves. We stop with all the foolishness of the world. It's a total mind change. And we're in that tomb with Jesus. And we stay in that tomb, blocking out all of the world's stuff, entertainment, longings. We block out by the power of the Spirit of God all of the devil's temptations. We're in the tomb with Jesus. And there's only one way you can come out of the tomb. It's called resurrection. That's what resurrection is. It's coming out of the tomb of death and then living that new life. Now, please hear me. I don't know how long you'll need to spend in that tomb shut away with Jesus. I've been in that tomb quite a while. I've tried to climb out and go back and live a better life. I don't want to go back and live a better life. I want to go back and live a pure and clean life. I don't want to go back and just be a better person. I'm not interested in self-improvement. I'm interested in utterly and totally and completely dying out to everything that has clung to my heart, to my mind, to my body. I don't want to go back and say, yes, I'm a better person, but I'm still not clean. If you're still not clean, it's because you didn't spend the amount of time necessary in the tomb with Jesus to get clean. Well, how much time is that, Pastor? I don't have an answer. For every one of us, it'll be a little different. In full-blown revival, it happens much more quickly than it does just in the struggle of the human heart. But in that tomb where we are dead, there comes the breath of the Holy Spirit. He puts us in that tub of water and stomps all over us until we're clean. David says, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. As the Lord judged you, he has me. It's been very painful. It's been very painful to face his judgments and know that the only way those judgments will be removed is by laying with Jesus in that tomb and being dead. Sin is only dealt with in one way, dying to it. 
Sin is not overcome. Sin is died to. We must die to our sin. And the place of that dying is in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans, the sixth chapter, is saying. It says, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. That our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. It's Romans, the sixth chapter. You know, Paul is saying, the secret, the answer to victory in Jesus is to be crucified with him. How many of you are too lazy to be crucified with Christ? You're comfortable with a with a faith that you have all of your positive affirmations about, but yet you have never really walked into the death. You're still the same old, same old man. There's still lust in your heart, lust for money, Lust for sex, masturbation, sodomy. You still have lust for being somebody, being acclaimed by the world. You still have a lust in your heart. For everything you desire. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? All of that lust for the world, the flesh, and the devil can only be dealt with by going into the tomb with Jesus. How do you do that? You carefully go through all that you know of that is of darkness in your life. And you put that in Jesus' hands. Jesus, I give it to you. But now, I need to spend time with you, Jesus. Shut away. And so, yes, I'm coming and and doing the radio broadcast. But I'm, in my spirit, shut away with Jesus. I'm not going after certain things that might interest me. I'm being careful what I say. I'm being careful where I go. My eyes are not following that line of success or that woman. My eyes are not following and feeling sorry for myself. My eyes are not on me. My eyes are on Jesus. And I'm in that place of death and dying, brokenness. It scared me this morning when I began to see the reality of my own heart and my own life. And began to recognize that I can't... I can't make my claim and preserve my little square area to live in and be in charge of my own life. I have no room in my life, for Ray Greenlee. I gave that room up. I turned it over to Jesus. So every part of my heart, I've turned over to him. 
Now, am I living a joyous life of victory? No, not yet. But I will be when he brings me through the resurrection. Hey, I thought I was there. I wasn't. The heart is so deceptive. The heart is so deceptive. Okay, I've confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm a pastor. I'm good to go. Wrong. Wrong. There's still fears. I have to die to those fears. Is your life still controlled by fear? You have to die to those fears. Are you still focusing on on how you can survive? Are you still looking at money? Friendships? Part of what I had to do this morning was review some people that I have deeply loved who have left. My security is not based on on people loving me. My security is based on Jesus and giving myself to him. Does it really matter what people think? I mean, I've never heard anybody, any pastor, talk like this about their relationship with Jesus. Is that right or wrong? I don't know. But this is where I have to live and where I have to walk and recognize that my life is not mine. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, and you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. That's the resurrection. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. That's the dying with Jesus. That's the tomb life. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. See, in the tomb with Jesus, our iniquity is blotted out. Our wickedness It's washed away. We're made clean. Now, some people are going to get through this in a matter of hours or days. Some of us have had to struggle much longer. And the struggle is we don't want to die, we don't want to give up. We'd like to do it our way with confidence that we're saved. But if we do, we're not saved. We're lost. Because we're still walking in sin. David cried out to God, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, don't let me keep bouncing around. Don't let me keep struggling with this sin or that sin. Don't let me... No, wash me. Scrub me up. Renew a right spirit within me. 
do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You get it? It is God who creates in us a pure heart. It is God who gives to us a steadfast spirit. It is the Holy Spirit with us that brings us joy, the joy of our salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, O God. It's not my spirit that sustains me. It is the willing spirit given to us by Jesus Christ after we have spent that time in the tomb with him. Now, please. There is no shortcut possible, according to Romans, the sixth chapter. There is no shortcut possible where you can avoid the crucifixion with Jesus. You're either going to face the death penalty and be cast into the pit of fire, or you're going to face the crucifixion. If you face the crucifixion, you face it with Jesus and you put your confidence in him, and you trust him to bring you safely through to the other side. You trust him in the Spirit to restore a spirit of joy of your salvation. And in that, a complete willingness of spirit to walk in obedience to whatever the Spirit says. You see the very heart of this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. A person who is poor in spirit. There are several Greek words I've talked about. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the word poor as being, you are totally dependent on what God will do for you. You can't do anything to save yourself. You submit to the crucifixion with Jesus. The crucifixion with Jesus is literally the casting off of those entertainments, those attitudes, those bitter thoughts and judgmental thoughts. It is casting off who you are in sin. And you're up, hung on that cross, like Jesus, bare, nothing hidden, exposed. And frankly, all you can do is grieve before a holy and righteous God. Grieve over your sin. For some, this is a matter of a couple days. For some, it's a couple years. I don't know what it will be for you. It depends on how damaged and how bitter, how angry your spirit is. But the only place sin can be dealt with is in the tomb. That's the only place sin can be dealt with. 
And if you're using all of your time and energy to create your world, your success, your ambitions, your relationships, you'll never come through. All of that has to be laid down. All of that has to be placed on the cross and in the tomb where Jesus comes and he takes it all away and he heals our brokenness. David said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. That's our job. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Now listen. The sacrifices of God, our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, that is a heart that is utterly shattered. Oh God, you will not despise. Why does it say, oh God, you will not despise? Because this is coming before Almighty God and uncovering every rebellion against him and his kingdom. It is uncovering every part of our heart that is still filled with lust for human power and strength and energy and accomplishment. It is coming before Almighty God and giving up every hope that we are God. And in that place, we know God will not despise us. I said to the Lord this morning, Lord, you should be despising me. It's terrifying to me to be so uncovered in your presence. To recognize the iniquity of my heart. To have a broken and contrite heart. Because it can't ever be put back together again. It's over. It's finished. I'm done. And God will not despise. Where are you in this journey? Have I made sense to you? Do you understand what I've been saying to you today? Are you in the tomb with Jesus? Have you come out of the tomb in resurrected life? But it wasn't a complete work. And you know it was not a complete work. You'll have to go back into that tomb and wait upon Jesus. It's not one time and it's done. It's numerous trips back into the tomb where we lay dead with Jesus and let him take the life of the world out of us. The life of lust he removes. And we wait upon the Lord for resurrection. There's a passage in Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you tremble at the word of God? Do you recognize the utter wickedness of your own heart? 
Do you know the wrath of God is upon you if you don't recognize that? Do you understand the wrath of God is coming upon America? It's already here. And if you don't get with Jesus, and that wrath is poured out, it will consume you. It will destroy you. We have to come to a place where we recognize how serious this walk is, how life-threatening it is. The Christian faith is not some casual walk and stroll in the park. There's a tomb involved, a crucifixion involved. But there's also a rejoicing involved, a freedom involved, a joy in life. I'm going to take some time now, and I'm going to pray. Almighty God, your wrath is terrifying to me. And I am deserving of all of your wrath. I know it's only your great compassion that comes and blots out my transgressions and washes away my iniquity and cleanses me from my sin. Lord, I am terrified for this nation. I'm terrified for the casualness of your people, thinking that there is no crucifixion and there is no tomb. It's a big party. Lord, I'm terrified for your people. I'm terrified because people will come and listen to a few minutes of this broadcast and then turn it off and go somewhere and do something else. No seriousness, no no final stopping and saying, wait a minute, pastor's right. I need to finish the tomb. I need to finish the burial time with Jesus. You understand, if you don't finish the burial time, how can you come and even talk to Jesus? Lord, I ask that you would convict with great power and authority the church today in America. I ask that you would put in our hearts a trembling of fear, lest we not complete the time of cleansing from sin. I'm terrified, Jesus, that people think they're fine. They can continue to walk in their transgressions and their sins, and you're going to somehow overlook it. You're going to cover them. I know that's a lie from hell. I know only the righteous will be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Lord, would you send a revival? Five minutes. Would you send a great, ponderous weight? Upon our hearts, for sin is heavy to bear. Sin is crushing this world. Lord, I ask that you would send that great conviction and trembling upon your people, and that you would cause us to rest with you as you wash and cleanse and purify our hearts. I ask that your judgment would be held back from your people. But I ask that your people would face the weight of sin, the reality of sin, 
the reality of your wrath. Lord, I ask that you would send dreams, visions, preachers. Lord, that you would call people out of the casualness of their lives, enjoying their children and their husbands and their wives and their recreation and their and their sinful parties and their their wicked entertainment lord send a great trembling upon this nation lord send a great trembling upon america Lord, turn the sun out for three days. Let darkness come over the face of this land, that people would tremble and fear before a holy and righteous God. Please come, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Are you making that progress? Are you trembling before God? Or do you just casually go about your life and your business? I pray the trembling of God will come upon your life. I want to pray for those who are sick. Lord, I reserve these last few minutes every day to pray for healing in the bodies and minds and souls of the people who listen to this broadcast. For, Lord, I know without any question, healing comes from your gracious hand and your loving heart. I pray for each today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's 22195. I pray that You will give as the Lord prompts you. Something about getting the skin in the game and saying, Jesus, I'm with you. I want you. Lord, please move in the hearts of your people today. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. God bless you.